Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're here. It's the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch post-impeachment, which we'll talk about in our first two martinis today. We're brought to you by Quip Electric Toothbrushes. Just go to getquip.com slash martini. Jim, but before we get to the real first crazy martini, they're all crazy today, a little bit of a follow-up on yesterday's first crazy martini, because they were all crazy again yesterday. Nancy Pelosi yesterday, of course, put out the no-gloating memo to Democrats, and uh, apparently a lot of Democrats didn't get that memo. First of all, here's Rashida Tlaib, whose uh, quote we played from the day she was sworn in earlier this year, uh, suggested she's not exactly engaging in solemnity about this. Here's her uh, little social media post as she walked to the House floor to impeach Trump. Hey, everyone. I am on my way to the United States House floor to impeach President Trump on behalf of my incredible district, 13 District Strong. Let's do this. And so then we got the votes, uh, all Republicans voting against both articles of impeachment. Former Republican Justin Amash, who's now an independent, voted for both of them. Uh, Two Democrats voted against the abuse of power one. Three Democrats voted against the obstruction of Congress one. So Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker, holding the gavel on this momentous vote. This is the first article of impeachment. And uh, let's just say she once again had to give the look. 230. The nays are 197. Present is one. Article one is adopted. The question, the question is on adoption of article two. Those are the Republicans jeering because the Democrats started to clap and Nancy gave them the cutoff sign and uh, glared just a hole through their soul, I think, Jim. So uh, what did you make of uh, the Democrats not quite living up to the memo? You could almost see a gif was born that day, <laughs> that evening, uh, as, as she said that. I also would point out that today, Nancy Pelosi addressed reporters. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. But she said, separate from what, our, what we're primarily going to be talking about, she said that people had a new spring in their step this morning, knowing that the president had been held accountable. This doesn't really jive with what she was saying yesterday, but I I guess the best way to explain it, Greg, is it was a sad and somber spring in their step this morning. (laughs) That's right. They were feeling better, even though they felt sad. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, that glare did, you know, uh, uh, shut up the the round of applause that was starting to break out amongst House Democrats. You know, you and I talked about this yesterday, and I wrote about this in the corner. They've been told, don't applause. It's kind of like when you tell the president to not congratulate Vladimir Putin. (laughs) Do not congratulate. I want to congratulate you, Vladimir Putin. You know, my point in the morning jolted is you don't get any points because you stopped clapping quickly. Of course, a lot of Democrats are elated about this. Of course, a lot of them have the, you know, not all, but but a good chunk of them have that Rashida Tlaib, you know, that they believe they were sent here to undo the errors of history. Right. They are they are Kyle Reese. There's been a terrible mistake and they've been sent to, to fix it. Uh, and change the future. And that's uh, that's how they see it. So they don't feel any guilt, any regret or, or mixed feelings or sad that it came to the... No, they came here to do this. At least some of them did. And uh, I think you could pretty much argue this was inevitable once the uh, Democrats won a majority in the House. Come on, just be honest about it. And 
Although apparently this process may not run as smoothly as everybody expected. That's true. That's true. So this is our real first crazy martini. We talked about it yesterday uh, because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are upset that uh, Mitch McConnell has his idea as the majority leader for how this impeachment trial ought to go in the Senate. And it's not the same as what Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi want to do. That she's going to just hang on to these articles of impeachment until she's sure that there's a, a fair and clear process here. And uh, until then, she's not re- ready to send them over or announce how many or who the impeachment managers, meaning prosecutors, are going to be. And uh, she thinks this is somehow going to work out well for the Democrats. We joked yesterday, oh, man, that's really too bad that the Republicans won't have to take a vote on a controversial issue like this. Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, on the Senate floor today responding to this tactic from the left. The failure was made clear to everyone earlier this week when Senator Schumer began searching for ways the Senate could step out of our proper role and try to fix the House Democrats' failures for them. And it was made even more clear last night when Speaker Pelosi suggested that House Democrats may be too afraid, too afraid to even transmit their shoddy work product to the Senate. (coughs) Mr. President, it looks like the prosecutors are getting cold feet in front of the entire country and second-guessing whether they even want to go to trial. They said impeachment was so urgent that it could not even wait for due process, but now they're content to sit on their hands. This is really comical. And with that, McConnell dusted off a mysterious white powder from his shoulder and went back to his (laughs) seat. Uh, Jim, he doesn't seem too intimidated by the left right now. Yeah, so you could kind of see this uh, starting to to gain traction as the day wore on. The the Democrats went into this kind of asking the question of, how do we make sure that President Trump gets impeached? And then as the day wore on, all of a sudden their minds shifted to a different question. How do we make sure the Senate doesn't acquit President Trump? And that's a lot harder. And the only way you can stop that vote, and look, as we, you, know, you and I have predicted a whole bunch, you know, I exaggerate slightly when I say Trump will be twerking on the White House lawn. But, you know, Trump is going to go out there. You, the, the, right now, you'd say you get the 47 Democrats, maybe you lose Manchin, maybe you're probably going to get Doug Jones. He's probably a, a goner either way. Maybe you pick up Romney, maybe you pick up Murkowski, and that gets you to 49, right? You know, it's a 49-51 vote on these articles. And, uh, you know, Trump will come out and say, I'm totally exonerated. It's just like the Mueller report. And, you know, and, and Trump, Trump's not going to feel chastened. Trump's not going to feel guilty or, or shamed or anything like that. Trump's going to go out there and say this was a partisan vendetta from the beginning. And a lot of Republicans are going to agree with them. And a decent chunk of independents are going to see it that way, too. So Democrats are realizing this doesn't really move the ball in the direction they want. And a good portion of today's morning jolt was kind of asking the question. I don't think there's any chance of it now. But was there a point at some point where you could have had, instead of impeachment, which would have frustrated, you know, the Rashida Tlaibs of the world, but you could have had a resolution saying the president should not have done this. The president does not have the authority to not, you know, to withhold congressionally appropriated funds in secret. Uh, you could have thrown something in there about how if there's allegations of corruption against U.S. officials, it should go through the Department of Justice, not the president's personal lawyer. You know, you could have done all that stuff. And you probably would have gotten a decent number of House Republicans to vote in favor of that. I know Trump insists it was a perfect call and this was the immaculate phone call. It was born without sin, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you could have done something like that. And that might have been uh, uh, more of a slap in the face to the president than this kind of partisan impeachment is going to be. So now the Democrats find themselves in a situation like, like, do we really think that changing the rules is going to make that much of a difference uh, in the outcome of this trial? I'm very skeptical.
Uh, you know, the other question is, do you want to drag in all the witnesses or not? And the Democrats seem convinced if we drag in more witnesses, something important will happen. Something will change. You'll get more Republican. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. Mitch McConnell wants this off his plate as quickly as possible. Can't say I, I, I begrudge him that, although I'm sure the president would love to say, hey, you know what? Let's bring in Hunter Biden and put him in under oath. Let's bring in Joe Biden and put him in. Under, let's investigate all this stuff. If we're going to if we're going to go forward with this. Um, I really feel like the Democrats have put themselves into a cul-de-sac. I, I do feel like it's a bizarre, it would be bizarrely appropriate if the House ended up never sending the articles to the Senate. And we end up in this bizarre, probably not constitutional limbo. Uh, I was joking today, Greg, that the uh, articles of impeachment have been brought down to the cellar, to the basement of the House side of the Capitol building, where they will be frozen in carbonate and preserved until the House and Senate can work out the agreement on the rules for the Senate trial. Well, this kind of runs in conflict with the idea that we have to do this. We can't wait for the election because the elections are being compromised. So uh, as long as this is in limbo, we just get closer and closer uh, to the election. Jim, it's interesting with the Democrats running the House and the Republicans running the Senate now. Uh, the minority party are on both sides very, very upset with the process. They think it's unfair. And the more I watch this play out in both directions, it seems to me it's like fans and, and players complaining about the refs. It's a little different in this situation because the players are the refs in terms of setting the rules and some of these things. But uh, even if you think your team got screwed, after a while, if all you do is complain about the refs, people stop caring. Agreed. And I'm, I'm just kind of left with this sense of this is what happens when you only control one chamber, right? If you, if you go forward with this, there's always this, the chance that the other side is going to say, I think this whole thing is nonsense. I'm not convinced. Oh, by the way, you know, if, if Republic, House Republicans said the rules were not fair for the entirety of the process, no, eventually they were given the opportunity, you know, to they asked the, the White House if they wanted to send representatives, et cetera, et cetera. But if you bend over backwards to say to the other side, hey, you know what, let's, uh, let's see if we can work this out. Let's see if we can, uh, uh, at least you feel like you're getting a fair shake and a chance to have your side expressed there. You know, you might get somewhere, not, not a lot, but you, know, you might get some uh, traction. Uh, they Clearly, a lot of House Republicans felt like there wasn't any uh, outreach to them that they were this whole thing was you know that, that Schiff and and uh, Nadler were never really going to give them uh, a fair shake and so as a result they never bought in so you know it's not like the House Republicans are going to call up to the Senate Republicans say no no you got to give these guys a fair shake they treated us so well <laughs> exactly exit question on this particular crazy martini uh, as you mentioned today a perfectly timed Democratic presidential debate because nobody's politically exhausted at this point less than a week before <laughs> Christmas um, obviously impeachment's going to come up it uh, reminds me of uh, one of the debates in the 2016 cycle it was the day we found out that Justice Scalia had died and a lot of Republicans in that debate immediately said there should be no confirmation uh, since it's an election year. Mitch McConnell shouldn't even allow the nomination uh, that President Obama puts out there to go forward. Ultimately, of course, that's what happened. Uh, that's why we still have but Merrick Garland tweets all over the place. But, uh, Jim, do you think we're going to get Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or anybody else on the stage tonight uh, giving directives to Chuck Schumer? Don't let it happen until we know there's going to be a fair process. Well, you got to wonder if there's going to be some disingenuous arguments going on, because here's the thing. If you go forward with the uh, more extensive, uh, well, you know what, we're going to have all the, you know, all the witnesses. We're, we're going to, you know, all the questioning, no stone unturned. This thing could go on for weeks and weeks, two months, all through January, all through February. I don't know, are Warren and Sanders and <laughs> Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar, do they all really, really want that? <laughs> uh, not so, not, uh, you know, the, you kind of wonder if, if that goes down in, in flames and the, the uh, Mitch McConnell wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. 
uh, approach ends up going forward, you know, do people end up saying, oh, you know, would, would all these Democratic presidential candidates say, oh, no, this is terrible? Or are they kind of be secretly sighing relief that they get to go back out into the campaign trail a lot quicker? They're going to be perfectly accepting of a full trial. Just postpone it till about May and then they'll be fine. May or June. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll be, they'll have, the nominee will probably be determined by then. Well, it seems like we're going to be waiting a while. And so uh, one of the things you can do while you're waiting is make sure that your uh, oral hygiene is up to speed. I know that's a terrible transition. But nonetheless, we're talking what about... What you say qu- is, much like a Snickers commercial, <laughs> they're not going anywhere for a while. But if you're eating those Snickers, you should take care of your teeth. Uh, thank you. Thank you for cleaning that up for me. The holiday shopping season is here. And your gift can start next year's Good Habits with Quip. Yes, get that electric toothbrush. That does such a better job cleaning, and Quip does much more than just clean. It instructs you how to clean each time you brush. Uh, They send you new stuff. I mean, it's fantastic. Quip makes it as easy as possible to maintain the best possible oral health. Quip is something that's sure to put a smile on everyone's face and on their mouth because their teeth are going to be nice and healthy. It's dental care people will actually want to use every day. See, that's why Quip is the perfect thoughtful and practical gift. With an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and toothpaste, all of these gifts are intentionally designed to make your good habits simple. The Quip electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine, and your Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings so that you always use just the right amount. Plus, Quip delivers brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months. You can join more than 3 million happy customers and check everyone off your gift list right now with Quip. Just this week, we got a refill package. My wife has the Quip, as I've mentioned many times. Uh, The new brush head, new tube of toothpaste. The kids were interested. Why is it just a brush head? Where's the rest of the brush? Well, we've got the brush. And the kids have it, too. We've got the kids' Quip. They love it. Uh, It's fantastic. It's definitely improved their brushing habits because they know about the pulses and when to switch. And it's just a much more thorough cleaning. So just go to getquip.com slash martini to save on gift sets. And to get your first refill free with a refill plan. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash martini. Getquip.com slash martini. All right, Jim, I gave the votes, but as you heard from the clip from Nancy Pelosi, I only mentioned the yeas and nays. There was one present on both of those votes for impeachment, and that was... Tulsi Gabbard, Hawaii congresswoman and presidential candidate, she went to social media to explain why she did what she did. So after doing my due diligence and reviewing the 658-page impeachment report, I came to the conclusion that I could not in good conscience vote either yes or no. I am standing in the center and decided to vote present. I could not in good conscience vote against impeachment because I believe President Trump is guilty of wrongdoing. I also could not in good conscience vote for impeachment because removal of a sitting president must not be the culmination of a partisan process fueled by tribal animosities that have so gravely divided our country. Even Tulsi's kicking the shins of the process here, Jim. So uh, some would say she's uh, trying to stake out middle ground. That's obviously her argument here. Uh, others would say she's just made everybody mad at her. Yeah, look, it was kind of like the uh, the Democratic congressman from Maine who voted for one of the articles but against the other. And I think all he did with that was kind of irk both sides. 
I, I you know, I guess you could make the argument that one was more plausible than the other, but uh, clearly most, you know, it was a very much a minority view. Can you see the logic of what Tulsi Gabbard was doing? Sure. And in fact, that was kind of the argument of a bunch of, of Republicans and much in throughout this process of no, the president shouldn't have done this. So a lot of words like it was unwise. Uh, I very much see the argument that no, the president, you know, did not have the authority to do this. He, he violated the law. There are provisions in the law if he wants to hold up funding, but he's got to give Congress the, the opportunity to undo it. Um, he chose not to do it. And that's, that's where we were. Um, I've also heard some folks making the argument of, well, you get down to it. It really was much more uh, slow walking than actually, you know, preventing it. They still had till 30th of the month to send it there. I suppose you could say, okay, this is where, you know, you feel some people are going to come down on this. I think though, that if you don't think the president should be impeached, then you should vote that the president should not be impeached. Meaning no. If you believe it was wrong and deserves some consequence, but not impeachment, then vote for something like censure or something like that. And I, I, she did introduce this. She did want to see this get traction. It certainly seems like there's little or no interest in this. She didn't qualify for the debate stage tonight. I don't know uh, if her campaign will be coming to an end shortly. I don't know if there's any of that truth of that rumor of uh, she's going to run as the Green Party candidate or something. Anyway, you want to slice it. Uh, she's kind of in a weird spot here. I'm sure she's going to have a very dedicated fan base, but I think that you know it's safe to say this is a very small uh, group of the in, at this moment in our politics who are basically saying, "Okay, let's vote president." No, oh, by the way, you and I made fun of Barack Obama for voting president a lot when he was in his state legislative days, and I, I do kind of believe on something this important, you do have an obligation to come down one way or the other uh, and not sort of you know take a pass on on something as important as this. I believe Tulsi, based on what I saw on Twitter today, is uh, joining the Oral Roberts Club along with Castro and, and Booker in, in past weeks. And that's that I think she needs a million dollars by the end of the year in order to keep the campaign going. So we'll see if that happens. Jim, not only is she not qualifying for tonight's debate, though, it's important to remember uh, she's not going. She's refusing okay, to go. Actually, I'll, I'll, at the bottom of the, the uh, statement, it also has uh, those grapes were probably sour anyway. All right, let's move on to our third martini, also crazy, although I think there's a a, a definite good streak here. I just wish this decision would have come, you know, seven or eight years ago. But nonetheless, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals reports National Review ruled ruled in a two-to-one vote Wednesday that Obamacare's individual mandate, which required Americans to buy health insurance, is unconstitutional. The ruling says it's unconstitutional because it can no longer be read as a tax and there's no other constitutional provision that justifies this exercise of congressional power. So you got all these states' attorneys general that basically took the Roberts ruling from 2012 where he twisted his ruling to make Obamacare to stand but only as a tax. But now that the uh, 2017 tax cut bill uh, zeroes out the penalty for not complying with the individual mandate, there is no tax anymore. So based on that logic, they're saying the individual mandate is unconstitutional. But now the case is being reverted back to the district court judge because the Trump administration actually reversed its position on this case, or at least changed it. Initially, they just wanted the individual mandate struck down. Now they believe with the individual mandate being unconstitutional, the whole thing has to go. So the severability issue has to go back to the district court and then probably back to the appellate court and eventually to the Supreme Court. So if this ever does get to the Supreme Court, Jim, it'll probably be well after Election Day 2020. Yeah, and I think you kind of that's the, that's the bottom line for this. And people had wondered if there was going to be this giant decision coming down from the Supreme Court. I, I nominate this as the crazy martini, and it's crazy on a bunch of different levels because one of my frequent arguments is that not every bad idea is inherently unconstitutional. Uh, I didn't like Obamacare. 
Um, I think you could make an argument that the penalty, that the degree you say the government wanted to penalize you for not having health insurance was unconstitutional. We did have that fight. We lost that fight in the Supreme Court. John Roberts changed his mind and surprised a lot of conservatives. But uh, once that decision came down, okay, well, you know, the whole thing's constitutional as far as I'm concerned. It, you know, that issue has been resolved. Congress repeals the individual mandate. And I don't quite understand why you'd say, oh, well, now obviously the rest of it is, un- is unconstitutional. I'm not sure I really ever thought that was a, a terribly compelling argument. Um, but what's even more complicated is, you know, so some people said, oh, my goodness, if this decision comes down, it's conceivable Supreme Court could rule all of Obamacare is unconstitutional and poof, it goes away. And you know what's probably the craziest part of this crazy martini is, Greg? Republicans weren't ready for that. <laughs> we didn't have one that we know could win a whole bunch of votes. It could step in and all that kind of stuff. Look, you know, whether or not you think it's a good idea to have people on their parents' uh, health insurance plans until they're what? Was it 26, I believe? Now, here's the thing. You know, I don't like it. But I, certainly I think it's, you know, it's certainly I don't think it violates the Constitution. And I think what's more is that uh, people do like it. It is popular, right? Uh, no additional fees for, for or, or charges for pre-existing conditions. That's really popular, right? That's, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in Ob- Obamacare that's not popular, but those two things are in there. If you're the Republicans, you don't want that going away because if they do go away, a whole bunch of people could be really, really PO'd in November and they're going to vote for the party that says, hey, yes, we'll bring it back. We'll give it to you for free. So if you're the Republicans, you need something that keeps enough of the popular stuff in place, but also gets rid of all the other regulations and mess. And by the, oh, by the way, in the meantime, Republicans have gotten rid of the medical device tax. They've gotten rid of uh, all, all the most unpopular stuff is gone. So if you're wondering if you, like, you feel like you hear Republicans talking about Obamacare less, one, they got rid of the stuff that, they, that their, their voters hated the most. Two, nobody's got a really great solution to replace the rest of it. You know, this is the political reality of this. So it, there may very well be a bunch of Republicans who are kind of sighing a sigh of relief, knowing that this issue has probably been kicked past the 2020 elections. Because in the end, Republicans don't really know how to put together an idea that says, hey, we're going to bring free market principles to health care and people are going to be happy with it. Uh, they have this idea in theory, but every time it comes to it, it's very hard to get the votes and Republicans don't like you know, Republicans hate Obamacare. But when it comes to actually, you know, getting rid of it and replacing it, well, that's a little bit tougher. Yeah, the latest idea is to pretty much kick it back to the states and leave them with a lot of flexibility with what to do, which, as conservatives, we like. Uh, Washington shouldn't be dictating all the minutia of, of health care policy. But, uh, yeah, one of the things we've learned is, is that uh, even though people might not like the system they have, uh, making major changes to it is something they recoil at even more, which is good when we're headed towards Medicare for all if the Democrats win. But uh, as much as they hated Obamacare, there's, there's uh, you know, a lot of unease about uh, changing it. I know a lot of conservatives weren't very happy with what the Republicans ended up putting on the floor in the House or Senate in 2017. So now un- unpeeling this at this point is going to be very, very complicated. So thanks a lot, John Roberts, in 2012 before it actually got enacted. Really good. Really good. Yeah, look, I don't like uh, – there's a lot of reasons I'm a federalist, but let's observe. In this circumstance where you see Republicans saying, leave it to the states, it's basically declaring this is a problem that must be solved by somebody else. <laughs> Ah, the fight goes on. The fight goes on. All right, Jim, happy Thursday. I'm sure you'll enjoy the debate tonight. Uh, Very exciting. Hey, you're finally done. I'm about to say, thank goodness it's Friday, but it's not, Greg. (laughs) How is it not Friday? This week has been like nine days long. (laughs) At least you're down to seven candidates. That's closer to what you like. But uh, anyway, one of them's still Tom Steyer. So you got to sit through that. See you tomorrow. 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. And hey, don't forget about Quip Electric Toothbrushes. Fantastic gift for everyone this holiday season. Getquip.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a nice review, and tune in on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.